For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, firstly, thank you so much for being with us here this morning. I pray that this service blesses you and challenges you and ultimately draws you closer to God this morning. My name's Jordan. I'm a part of the team here at Uni Hill Church, and I have the great privilege of bringing us around the Word of God today. Now, last week, I loved Pastor Greg's message, how he mentioned that his preachers were just the same as everyone else, and we don't always feel strong. Why I loved that was I was laying on the couch last Tuesday watching the service and let me tell you, I was not feeling particularly strong nor in a good mood at that point. And for those that know me, you know I like to be a little bit organised. But by that point in the week, I had not been able to put two thoughts together cohesively and I hadn't even started this message. So I was well and truly behind the eight balls and I thought, oh my goodness, anything could happen this Sunday morning. So who's excited to see what's about to happen this Sunday morning? But it's often in those moments in life that we're reminded that we don't actually do things in our own strength and that we serve a saviour who loves us so much that he wants to actually equip us to do things in his strength. So I found myself last Sunday simply just sitting at his feet and waiting on the Lord. Give me a wave if you found yourself at that spot before as well. And the question I wanted to open our time with together today, this morning, is this. And it's going to require a little bit of interaction from you this morning. So you're going to chat to the people next to you. But I'm going to pose a question. If you're joining us online, so good to have you with us. Feel free to write your answers in the chat. So the first question I want to ask is this. What motivates you in life? Go on, turn to the person next to you. Tell them what motivates you. Wow, we're all so quiet. Luckily, I prepared for this exact scenario. Have a think about it. Awesome, awesome. Does anyone want to be super adventurous and yell out what motivates them in life or you're all just uh, happy to talk? Food. Thank you, Jared. I too am motivated by a good hamburger, my friend, but we can, uh, we can sort that out another time. Some things I wrote, de- I wrote down that we can find inspiration is from our heroes, whether that be sporting or musicians, the people around us. Perhaps it's wanting to be a good friend or a good husband or a good wife is a good motivation as well. And I'm sure that if we went around the room together, all the married people are like, this man's preaching good. But I'm sure if we went around the room together this morning, Each of us would be able to name at least one thing that motivates us in life. But now, let me ask another question. Once again, turn to the person next to you. What influences you in your life? Go on, have a chat to one another. It's like a slow murmur. I feel like I'm standing in a library right now. You always just hear that murmur. If you're online, once again, feel free to share it with those that are online as well. So I also write down some thoughts on influences as well and feel free to pick up this conversation after the services as well. But some things that I wrote down, perhaps we're influenced by our family of origin and the people we grew up with. Maybe it's the community that we do life with. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's other people's expectations on us. Or maybe even it's our own perceived expectations on ourselves. Once again, I'm sure that if we went round the room this morning, we could name something that was influencing us. But let's keep this interaction going for a final time. Give me a wave if this morning on your way to church or at some point this morning, 
you've seen some form of advertising. Give me a wave for all friends here. Could have been an ad on Light FM for the super spiritual people in the room that listen to that on the way to church. Could have been Facebook. And so put those hands back up. You're all like kind of half committed. Give me a wave if you've seen some form of advertisement. So quite a few of us. So and young adults, you can't answer this next question because I've used this question with you guys before, but it means we're going to throw it out to the rest of the congregation this morning. Who wants to guess how many advertisements the average person sees a day? If you're online, throw your answers up there. Does anyone want to yell something out? How many ads do you reckon we see a day? Too many? Very good answer, Mark. Any other questions that are numerical in value? How many? 25 ads a day. Any other? Do we have any other takers? 25,000. That was a, it's quite a guess there, Paige, but you're a young adult, so you know, can't count that one, so it's fine. Are you all ready for the answer to that question? If I was to ask you that question in the 70s, which was impossible because I was not yet born, but you know where I'm going with this, the answer would have been between 500 to 1,600 a day. If I was to ask you that question in the year 2000, the answer would have been around 5,000. And fast forward to today, and while there's no official figure, most of the research says that the average person is expected to encounter between 6,000 to 10,000 ads a day. It's a little bit of a scary number, isn't it, when we think about it like that? But why am I telling you this? Because it's important to understand that we are being influenced by more than just what we think. Pastor Greg's message last week touched on how we as believers are to be different to conventional worldly wisdom around us. And I wanted to expand upon that idea by looking at Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 to 16. And the question I want us to think about together in our time this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture is this. What are we, as followers of Christ, pursuing? But before we get into this passage of Scripture together this morning, let's take a moment to stand together, to settle our thoughts and our minds and give this time to God. So if you would like to stand with me, I'd love to pray. Heavenly Father, right now, we don't know what's happened during the week for everyone in this room, Father, but right now we turn our hearts and our minds and our thoughts to you. Father, we ask that your holy living word speaks to us this morning, Father. Let any words that are from me fall away, Father, and let what's from you stay and permeate the soul. Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful we can gather this morning, Father, and come around your word. In your precious and holy name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. So the passage of scripture they're about to read together comes from a letter written to Timothy, a young minister by the Apostle Paul. Along with 2 Timothy and Titus, 1 Timothy makes up what is commonly known as the pastoral epistles. And over the past few years, I've personally found so much hope, inspiration, motivation and encouragement from these letters in my own world as there are so many parallels to our cultural moment that we find ourselves living through contained in this letter. And the key theme that Paul is exploring in 1 Timothy is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, leads to practical and visible change in the lives of those who profess to believe it. Paul was specifically writing this letter to Timothy to address the issues that were going on in the church of Ephesus at the time, which included false teaching, and how believers weren't living out the ethical implications of the gospel. And there is so much wisdom that we as followers of Christ can gain from this short letter.
But today, once again, we'll be specifically looking at what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 to 16. So if you have your Bibles with you or your smartphones, which are probably going to try and sell you something before this service is over, just saying, why not turn with me and let's read this passage of Scripture together. And it'll also be on the screen as well. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take a hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal power. Amen. In the preceding passage of Scripture in verse 3 to 10, we see Paul warning Timothy of what those things were that he was to flee from, which in this case was falling into the trap of doing things for God to get something in return. Because in the church of Ephesus at this point in time, the idea that was being heavily promoted and taught to the church members was that if we do things for God, it would lead to financial gain and wealth. And for most of us that have grown up in the church, specifically in our Western context, we've probably heard something along those lines before. And if we're really honest, it may have been something that we've inadvertently thought or believed ourselves at some point. And it's also important to note that whilst Paul specifically doesn't say there's anything wrong with material possessions per se, he is warning, he is warning about the trap of desiring to be rich and how that can lead us away from God and into temptation. And in my own life, as I'm sure it's probably true for some of us here, it could be a massive temptation and a super easy trap to fall into. The one that puts our thinking on the want of things before our want of God. And this isn't even taking into account the 6,000 to 10,000 ads a day that are playing on our emotional responses to try and motivate and influence to buy things we don't really need. Ultimately, what Paul is pointing to here is an attitude of our hearts. Is the attitude of our hearts really saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what I have or I don't have. All I need is my saviour to be led by him. Or is it saying that when I get this next thing, then I'll be able to follow God properly. Or when I get that bigger house, that'll fix my marriage. That nicer car will make people think better of me. That'll lead to the pay rise I need. What is the attitude of our hearts saying about our motivation and influences? And if I can take this step one further, are our motivations and influences more based on getting things than following our glorious saviour? Are we sometimes like the believers in Ephesus and only doing the right things by God so we can get something in return. This is precisely what Paul is warning Timothy about. But don't get discouraged. I know it's been a heavier start to a message than usual, but Paul actually lays out to Timothy in this text what we as followers of Christ are to pursue, which everyone said, thank goodness. So let's read together again verses 11 to 12. But you, man of God, flee from these things. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. 
Take a hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. All things that I'm sure all of us in this room would say are good things to desire and to strive after and to pursue in our lives. And in the rest of our time together this morning, we're going to look at a few of these different aspects and how they practically play out in our lives and hopefully answer the question that what as we as followers of Jesus should be pursuing. And I would love to go through each of them together, but we'd be here till well into the evening and I don't think too many of you would be a fan of me then. So we're just going to look at a few at them. But before we go any further, I felt it would be remiss not to include a disclaimer here. I am in no way, shape or form an expert on these areas. I'm simply just a person trying to follow Jesus as best I can with my life. And this morning is not a call to legalism nor perfection. It is a call, though, to hopefully inspire or re-inspire and encourage all of us to pursue our incredible saviour with all that we are. We are not called to live like everyone else. We are called to show another way that leads to a life-changing encounter with the one true and living God. And as Paul explores in this letter, one of the key results, for lack of a better term, of the gospel is that it leads to a practical and visible change in our lives. When we have encountered Jesus and entered into a relationship with him, we can't help but be changed. We just heard that from the Alpha graduates as well. When you have an encounter with God, you can't help but be different. We can't help but want to show the same love, forgiveness and mercy that we've received to those around us. So if we simply just look the same as everyone else around us, are motivated by the same things, the same influences and the same desires, we really have to stop and look at what we're doing. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know the good news of salvation. So why shouldn't we want to see our loved ones, our friends or our work colleagues enter into that relationship? Imagine if by pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love and endurance and gentleness, we could show a different way to those around us. Imagine what would happen if those around us saw a people that actually presented a different way to the broader culture, a people that embodied the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this would lead us to the renewal that so many of us are praying for and hoping for. But practically, where do we begin today? If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is simply this, In Pursuit. So what are we as followers of Jesus meant to pursue? As we see in verse 11, the first area is righteousness. The term righteousness in the original Greek, and apologies in advance to all the Greek speakers in the room because I'm going to butcher this, is dikonose, which in the, once again, sorry Greek speakers, which in the biblical usage in this passage of scripture is defined by Strong's Concordance as integrity, virtue, purity of life, righteousness, Correctness of thinking, feeling or acting. I think that many of us when we hear that term righteousness, there's almost a stigma around it in our thinking. Usually the next word I think of after righteousness is self. How many times have we thought to ourselves, look at this high and mighty person being all self-righteous. But this is not how Paul is actually using this term to Timothy. He is encouraging Timothy to pursue integrity, virtue and purity in his life. 
And these are things that should be encouraged. Because often it can feel like the opposite is what is being championed around us by the broader culture. Instead of integrity, we often see the idea of doing what makes us feel better regardless of what we've said to someone else or the actions it has on someone. Instead of virtue, we see sinful behaviour being held up as a gold standard to inspire to. That once again, if it feels good, why not do it? Why live differently to everyone else? Why strive for purity with what we watch, do or say or let influence us when it's so much easier just to go with the flow? But the reason for this was not out of legalism. It was truly out of a thankfulness and a reverence for God. When we pursue righteousness, we're choosing to pursue a different way. Is it an easy way? No. Is the pursuit of God an easy thing? No. And I've actually just lost one of my pages, so uh, we might just have to give, bear with me for two seconds. Talk amongst yourselves for two seconds here. Sorry, guys. And I know this is a hard thought, but when we return to our passage of Scripture, we see Paul in verse 12 to 13 reminding Timothy of once again the one who gave his life for him. And as I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, do I sometimes forget whom I'm serving with my life and the magnitude of what it calls to be a follower of Jesus? Someone that was brought with a price. Someone who was so loved that my Saviour was willing to lay down his life for me even when I was ungodly, as it says in Romans 5.8. And with this incredible truth in mind, shouldn't we, as followers of Christ, want to pursue him with all that we are? Perhaps for some of us here today, the point of difference to everyone else around us will be what we allow ourselves to watch or listen to. What we champion is a good thing. For some of us, it may mean giving up some things and refocusing on what it means to have purity in our thinking, feeling and actions. And will we get it 100% right all of the time? Not a chance. And I'm speaking from personal experience. But as followers of Christ, this call to righteousness is an exciting one because of who calls us to pursue it. And what better way to pursue it than the people you're sitting next to right now and in community with, to champion each other, to help each other when we're feeling weak, to come together in the pursuit of our incredible saviour and the life he's called us to. Amen? The second pursuit I wanted to look at is this, godliness. Now, how I chose these aspects of what we're looking at together today from the text is that I wanted to explore aspects that I personally haven't heard explored in my time at various different churches a lot. And I know that I'm a little bit younger than some of us in the room this morning, so you may have heard many messages on this before. So forgive me. But it's important to discuss these ideas that Paul is writing to Timothy about. In this context, godliness can be defined biblically as reverence or respect towards God. It is one thing to say we show reverence to God. But if someone was to follow us around for a day, I often wonder certainly what my own life would say by my actions. When I think about reverence, one of the clearest examples that comes to mind is my grandmother, Glenda Tunley. Now, for those of you who may not have met my grandmother, 
She is a woman that absolutely puts God before everything that she does and takes God very, very seriously, but in a good way. I cannot remember a time that my family has ever eaten a meal without, with grandma that we didn't pray over. And if you even thought about eating the meal before you prayed, you're a much braver man than I. But the reason for this was not out of legalism or anything like that. It, truly out of, it was truly out of thankfulness and reverence for God. My grandmother made a point of making sure to thank God before every meal. And even as I'm telling you this story, I'm sure right now many other people's faces are popping into your mind that you've seen people like this who have such a reverence and seriousness to their faith. In fact, this is actually a trait that I've seen from all of my grandparents, that they all had and still have such a reverence and awe for God, for not only what he has done in their lives, but in the lives of their children and their grandchildren. There was and is such a weight to their prayers. For us, especially here in our Australian context, we often make fun of a lot of stuff and can be very self-deprecating at times. And I think that sometimes we actually forget who we're serving and dedicating our lives to. And instead of reverence, we can almost become irreverent when it comes to our Creator. We may slip into the trap of only praying to and worshipping Him when we need something, instead of desiring to seek Him and to be with Him in all circumstances. And in the transactional culture that we live in, it makes total sense. But we must never forget, as Greg alluded to this morning as well, that we're called to be a countercultural people that receive the great honour and privilege of serving and worshipping our Heavenly Father with all of our lives and showing another way. Once again in the text, we see the example of godliness in Timothy, who Paul points out in verse 15, viewed his work in the ministry through the lens that at the proper time he would be accountable to God. Imagine if we viewed our entire lives through this lens. Would that change how we did certain things? Would it bring a bit more weight or intentionality to our actions? For me, it certainly helps putting things into perspective, especially when it comes to what things I actually allow into my world. When we view life through the lens of eternity and the incredible love and sacrifice of Jesus, it truly does and can change things. It reminds us that this place is not our final home. And it reminds us that the good news of Jesus is in fact for all people. Maybe for some of us, we know deep down in our hearts, we've allowed our reverence for God to perhaps fall to the bottom of the pile and have placed other things in front of him. Maybe we've forgotten we serve a God who created each of us in his image that knitted us together in our mother's wombs, that created the stars and the heavens and yet still wants to have a real and tangible relationship with us. Perhaps for those of us that are feeling like this, this is the morning that we come humbly before our Saviour and ask for forgiveness and accept his love and mercy. In a culture that urges us to worship ourselves, material possessions and feelings above all else, what could be more incredible and freeing than the worship the one who deserves all of our praise that created us in his image and who alone offers hope. And this is not a new nor a groundbreaking thought. Timothy was being walked through these very things by Paul as he was trying to help guide the believers in Ephesus. And perhaps for us here, their wisdom is needed just as much now as it was then. 
I might invite Jared back up on keys if I could, please. Returning to our text for the final time together this morning, we read, But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take a hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To be him be honour and eternal power. Amen. The third and final pursuit that we're going to look at together this morning in our time is this. Endurance. The call to follow Jesus is most definitely a marathon and not a sprint. Eugene Peterson is often quoted as saying, a life with Jesus is a long obedience in one direction. And in a world of instant gratification, this can be quite confronting and quite hard. And if we look outside of our Western church context into our global brothers and sisters in the faith, we can often see that following Jesus can cost them a lot. Their jobs, their friends, their families, and even sometimes their very lives. Endurance doesn't always feel good, especially when you're in the middle of a challenging and complex time. And if anyone knew this, it was the Apostle Paul himself who was writing these very words to Timothy. In Paul's life, he would be beaten, persecuted, imprisoned multiple times and then ultimately martyred for his faith. In moments of persecution, he needed endurance to hold on to his faith, to hold on to the eternal hope that he knew lay only in Christ. For us here today, our circumstances may not be that extreme. But for all of us, and I'm most definitely including myself in this, we need endurance in following Jesus. There will be moments in our life when everything is going really well and it's so easy to get up early and to pray. It's so easy to make it to church on time and everything in life is just going super, super well. But what about in those moments when everything isn't going well? What about when your job is no longer fun and it becomes a grind? The early mornings get harder. So you stay in bed that little bit longer and then you miss your early morning prayer. What about after a big week when it's simply easier just to stay home than it is to come to church, let alone serve? In the, it's in these moments that we see where our endurance lies. The endurance that Paul is referring to here to Timothy is the kind of endurance that is steadfast and consistent. It is endurance that not only knows the purpose for which we have been called, but we know the person who calls us and gives us purpose. And as I look around this room this morning, there are so many examples of this kind of endurance I could name. There are people here that when everyone else goes home after a service, they stay behind to make sure everything's okay. There are other people here that after a huge week in their jobs or study or any other number of pressures, 
still choose to come and serve this community so that people may have an opportunity to encounter the one true and living God. That's not even to mention the incredible people that are willing to fill in and help out last minute, no matter how tired or busy they may be. Or the people who faithfully continue to pray for our community every single day, no matter what is happening in their wards. And I could go around this room telling more and more stories of these examples of endurance. But I simply wanted to say this. I am truly inspired by this community and the example of endurance that has shown across it so faithfully and consistently. It is this kind of endurance that will change entire suburbs and cities. And as followers of Jesus, this is a kind of endurance we should be pursuing, not just in our church worlds, but in everything that we do. So what does this practically look like for all of us here this morning? It will vary from person to person. But for some of us, it's staying where God has told you to stay, whether that be a home or a workplace. It's sticking something else when everyone around you is telling you to go. Perhaps for the parents in this room, it's the example to your children of what it looks like to prioritise your faith and relationship with God, even when you're tired. For all of the married people in the room, it's showing faithfulness and Christ-like love to your spouse, even when it's hard and everything is not going right. But the truly great thing about endurance is that we don't have to do it on our own. As Paul writes here to Timothy, he knew where his hope was. He knew that whatever he did, he didn't do it alone. He did it with our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. When those times come when you are feeling overwhelmed and tired, take those feelings to Christ. Seek Him for strength and endurance to fight the good fight of faith, as Paul phrases it here. Can we all stand together this morning? So what are we, as followers of Christ, meant to pursue? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. But what binds all of these together is the hope that is only found in Jesus. Above all else, we're meant to be pursuing Christ with all of our lives. The call to follow Jesus is a call to a different way of life and to pursue different things. But this is not a journey that you have to do alone. You are surrounded in this room by people that can help motivate you and positively influence you, to stir you on to seeking Jesus in a fresh and new way. And I can't promise you that it will always be easy. But I can promise you this. If you do pursue the things of God in Him, you'll be choosing to live differently to those around you and they will see it. And it will be the greatest adventure of your life. Amen. But before we close our time together this morning, I'm aware that I've been talking a lot about God and Jesus and that all of us may not have a relationship with Him. And you may be here saying, this all sounds good, but who is this Jesus you've been talking about? And you know what? That is the greatest question you can ever ask in your life. What I love and find incredible about a relationship with Christ is that all we have to do is respond. 
because we serve a God of forgiveness and redemption. And I know because I only stand here this morning because of Him. Simply put, without our incredible Saviour, I would not be standing here with all of you this morning. So if that is you, and you would like to chat more about what a relationship with Jesus looks like, I'm not going to make you put your hand up. And if you're joining with us online as well, all I'm going to simply say is this. If you're online, send me an email at jordan at unihillchurch.com.au. But if you're in the room and you want to know more about what a relationship with Jesus looks like, I'm going to be down the front after the service and I would personally love to have a conversation with you. But I also never want to miss a moment for the Holy Spirit to minister to us as a community. So if you're also standing here today and you know that deep down, perhaps you haven't been pursuing God or the things of Him and you want to spend some time with Him and get prayer for any situations that you may be walking through, I'd love to invite you to come up the front and the ministry team will be here and we'd love to pray with you. For everyone else, I'm going to close this service together in prayer. So I'd like to bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, Father. We thank you so much for your mercy, Lord. This morning as we go out, Father, let it not just be another week like every other week, Father, but help us to prioritise you and put you back in your rightful place, Father. Help us to seek you in our workplaces, Father over dinner tables with friends and family, Father. In a supermarket, it doesn't matter wherever we are, Father. Holy Spirit, go before us, Lord. Strengthen us. Give us endurance, Father, to seek after you in everything that we do. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather, Father, and hear you. Be with all of us, Father. In your precious and holy name, amen.